Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this reason, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray you would open my mouth to speak your truth. You would open our ears and our hearts to hear it and to receive it and to have it cult, that, that you would just plow up the ground and the seeds would fall into good soil. Not shallow soil, not thorny soil, not hard soil, but our hearts would be ready for this. You would speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 150 years ago, um, scientists made a discovery. And what they discovered were that there were invisible enemies that were at war with humanity. Um, and they knew that this discovery could change things for the better. And they knew that they had to get the news out. And so they began to tell people about this discovery, that there are invisible enemies that are hurting us and killing us. And how do you think people responded? Well, the way people responded was not to say thank you, not to say let's, let's move to action. The way they responded was to laugh at them and to say, that's just silly. Um, there was another theory about this problem that was affecting humanity that everyone believed, and so they didn't believe these scientists. The, the, the truth is, though, these scientists were right, and over the next few decades, people began to believe them, and proof began to be shown that what they were saying was true, and now all of us, every one of you, believe in the discovery these scientists made. On the cruise we just went on, our family took a cruise with my wife's family last end of last week and, and into the weekend, uh, they believe in this. They believe in this discovery because every meal, every time you went anywhere on the ship, they handed you a sanitizing hand wipe, and made you wash your hands so that they wouldn't be on the news with an outbreak of some sort of virus or bug. Because the germ theory of disease is completely accepted across the board. Everybody knows now that germs are real and they can hurt you. Everybody believes 
that this is how we get sick. This is how we get hurt from these little invisible or very, very small organisms called germs. You wash your hands and you sanitize your hands. Some of you are like very, very obsessive, like hand sanitizer. You have it like on a keychain. You're just like, it's just as soon as you know, you, you shake hands with someone, you go to the little sanitizer by the coffee stand and you sanitize, shake hands with someone else, you sanitize again, because you are very aware of the germ theory of disease and you know that these invisible enemies are very real and they can hurt you. Well, there's something here that illustrates the truth about our world in general. Because sometimes things we can't see are very real and very dangerous. The Bible explains that the most real things are invisible. That the most real things are things you cannot see. Our culture doesn't believe this. Our culture and our world tell us that only what we can see is what is real. That if you have a powerful enough microscope, everything can be observed. They say that, you know, love and joy and sadness and hopes and dreams and anger and hate, they're all just chemical reactions. And you can just chalk it up to testosterone or estrogen or norepinephrine or dopamine or serotonin. And this is what explains life. It's that just stuff happening chemically in your brain. That everything that is real, you can see. This is what our culture tells us. And deep down, we know that it's a lie. How do you know it's a lie? I have objective evidence for you. The way you know it's a lie is because Avengers Endgame made two and a half billion dollars in two and a half weeks. Because we know that there's more than we can see. We know that the battle that we're fighting and life is bigger than just what we can observe with our eyes. Now, the directors of Avengers Endgame said that spoilers are at this point legitimate because if you were a real fan, you should have already seen the movie. But out of respect for Tom I am, and everyone, I am not going to spoil the movie. I'm not going to give it away. But I am going to talk a little bit about some things that will not spoil the movie. Um, for example, one part, and this, this doesn't give anything away, Tony Stark, who is Iron Man, by the way, if you didn't know that, you know, it's... 2008 was the first movie, so, okay. He, he says, 10 years ago, if you had told me we weren't alone, meaning like aliens and outer space and stuff, he said, I wouldn't have been surprised, but come on, the epic forces of dark and light that have come into play, that have been shown to be real in this, this fantasy universe. The, the reason I believe those movies are so popular like they're like a cash cow for the Disney Corporation because every movie they make is like a billion dollars just like that. It's because they tell the story of the world that we know is true and that is there is more to life than what we can see. And we're going to see this today in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, which I just read. We're not alone. We're not alone. And the forces that we can't see are not friendly. They don't come in peace, and they are at war with us. That the war that we're fighting is very real with invisible forces of darkness, but we don't have to be afraid because God has given us a way to be prepared. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is how to be a spiritual warrior. How to be a spiritual warrior. Now, I know some of you are new to the Bible. Maybe you're back in church for the first time in a long time, 
you don't know much about the Bible, you're not really sure, like Old Testament, New Testament, you don't, Ten Commandments, Jesus, you know, that's all, maybe you're like not sure how that all fits together. Maybe you're not sure if you're supposed to be here. You're like, I don't really know a lot about the Bible. It's, it's, I don't know if I really belong in church. Well, let me just assure you that you are in exactly the right place because this is like Bible 101. That's all we do here is we just talk about the Bible and study the Bible. So if you want to learn about the Bible, you're in the right place. And all you have, the only prerequisite, the only prerequisite is having an open mind and just seeing, okay, is this really true? Does this make sense? Some of you do know more about the Bible, and this may be a passage that you're really familiar with and you've studied. Maybe you've had Sunday school lessons on it, and maybe you've taught lessons about it, the, the armor of God. It's often we think of a passage that kids really love. It's one of the reasons kids are in here this morning, because it's a passage kids really love. It really speaks to the, ch the, child, the childlike imagination that God has given to kids and to adults as well. But it also has a lot to say to you if you're an adult. It has a lot to say to you if you are just living life on earth. Because often we think of spiritual warfare as like the exorcist. Or we think of it as like these shadows in the night. Or we think of it as like these spooky things happening that you can't, you know, ghosts and all these things. We think of spiritual warfare as these sort of really, really creepy things that happen. And, and some of those things are real and they are, you know, that's stuff we have to reckon with. But the reality is spiritual warfare is much less creepy and much more just like your normal life every day. And spiritual warfare is less like a Christian fantasy novel or a Christian horror movie or a secular horror movie. And it's much more like someone who is just struggling to believe the gospel is true on Monday afternoon. It's much more like a church where people are talking about each other behind their backs, behind each other's backs. It's much more like reading your Bible and praying consistently than it is like performing an exorcism. Spiritual warfare is the normal rhythm of the Christian life. So let's talk about God's pathway to becoming a spiritual warrior, spiritual boot camp. And we're going to have uh, we're going to have three big points and then some sub-points underneath. The first big point, spiritual warfare is a team sport. Spiritual warfare is a team sport. So this passage, chapter 6, 10 through 20, has five imperative verbs or five commands. Now we talked about the fact that Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote to a church he had planted about seven years before, the first three chapters are all indicative verbs. They're all verbs, they're all words that just tell a statement of fact. It doesn't give you anything to do. It just says, this is what God did. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has raised Jesus from the dead. He's raised you from spiritual death. He has reunited you with him and with other people who are different than you. And he has set us in motion, this cosmic plan to fix the world and all that's wrong with it. That's chapters one through three. And then in chapters four through six, we see there are commands and imperatives. There, there are things you are supposed to obey all over the place, and there are five of them here in chapter 6, 10 through 20. Number one is be strengthened by the Lord, chapter 6, verse 10. The second is put on the full armor of God in chapter 6, verse 11. The third, take up the full armor of God, verse 13. Number four, stand, verse 14. Number five, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Those are five commands in this passage. And here's the thing to notice. 
or that you may not be able to tell because in English, only in the South do we use a you that is plural, y'all. We say you, you know, we don't know if you're saying you like as in me by myself or you as in you all together. Hey, you guys, you all. Well, every one of these commands is a plural. Every one of them is y'all be strengthened. Y'all put on the armor of God. All you all, all you guys take up the full armor. All of you stand, take the helmet, all of you. You can't fight spiritual warfare on your own. This is not an individual thing. It's not just about you burying your face in the carpet of your room and getting into the presence of God by yourself. Now, you should do that. You should have times where your face is buried in the carpet or in your bedspread or you're just in the presence of God, you and Jesus. That's critical and important for your spiritual life. But that's not the fundamental or only way that spiritual warfare is fought. We're not talking about solo army ranger type of warriors. We're talking about SEAL Team 6. We're talking about a team. You need the church. The team that God has given you is the church. Now, the big C church, yes, you need the big C church, but you also need a little C local church. What do you call a child who is a member of the human family, but not a member of a nuclear family? Call that child an orphan. And a number of you, you have sought to remedy that issue. You have sought to bring kids into your life. Well, God, he didn't design you as a Christian just to be a part of the Christian family, big picture. He designed you to be a part of a nuclear Christian family in a local church. He has designed you to be not just part of this sort of like floating organization where you are bounced from family to family. He's designed you to be a integral part of a local assembly to be a legal member of the family the picture of adoption where someone is a permanent member of the family that's how god has designed us team sport christianity is being a part of a local church so why i think the bible teaches that membership is a biblical and important principle in the life of a church a child of god who is not part of a local church is living like a spiritual orphan. God wants you to be deeply connected to one another in the local church. Number one, Christ, uh, spiritual warfare is a team sport. Number two is the, the command, be strengthened by the Lord. Verse 10, be strengthened, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. How strong is God's vast strength? Well, it's really strong. Look at Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came into being. He commanded, and it came into existence. I want you to think about the power of of the sun. If you go, went outside and looked at the sun, your eyes would be permanently damaged. Remember a couple years ago when we had the solar eclipse? They said not to look at it. Well, I was stupid and I looked at it. 
And I was seeing spot. I was calling Laura, like freaking out, like I think I'm gonna be blind. She's like, "No, you're probably gonna be fine." But I was like seeing spots for hours because I went like this, literally like that, and it was like the sun is so powerful you can't even look at it without it messing up your eyes, and it's a hundred million miles away. That's really far. That's really far away, and it's still so powerful. If you got within five million miles of the sun, it would incinerate you. It's so powerful. And yet, there are things scientists have observed in the universe called gamma ray bursts, where a star, like the sun is a star, will, and it's in its kind of last gasp, will actually explode. And it releases the energy. This is how much energy a gamma ray burst releases. The amount of power from our sun given over the course of 10 billion years. The sun that's powerful enough to blind you with a glance, 10 times 10 billion, times 10 billion, that's the, the strength of one gamma ray burst. Okay, now I just want you to think about the fact that many of you had never heard of a gamma ray burst until 47 seconds ago. And that's because you doesn't affect you at all. This powerful cosmic event it's like a speck and a telescope for like really geeky scientist people. Yet God set the whole universe and affected the whole universe with a word. How great is God's power? Look at Ephesians 1. We saw this a while back when we were in the earlier sections of Ephesians. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working, the mighty working of his strength, which he exercised in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him far above at his right hand, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given not only in this age, but in the age to come. This is why spiritual warfare is not something to be afraid of, because Jesus has already been set over the powers who are at war with us. Jesus is like the ultimate sanitizing wipe against the germs of spiritual darkness. This is the strength that's empowering you for spiritual war. Be strengthened in the Lord. Look at, uh, there's, a, there's a passage I love in 1 Samuel. Some of us are reading through this Bible reading plan called the F260 Bible reading plan. And, um, and I am just now finishing Samuel and there's this passage in Samuel that I actually didn't read because the Bible reading plan didn't go in it, but it's still a really good passage. Um, I just wanted to plug the F260 if you're not doing it. <laughs> when David and his men arrived at the town, they found it burned. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. David and the troops with him wept loudly until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, had also been kidnapped. David was in an extremely difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him, like killing him, putting him to death, because they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. So here's what happens. Major military defeat. The mighty great king David has failed so badly that the people who are following him are not like, let's get together and fire him, let's get someone else. They're like, no, we need to, we need to put this guy to death because he has failed and he has failed our families. 
And look what David did. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. I don't know what you're fighting against. I know what some of you are. But I don't know all the ins and outs of what you're fighting against. I don't know exactly what you're going through. I know some for some. But some of you are going through things you haven't told anybody about, or maybe just one person. Here's, enough, here's the truth. God's strength is sufficient for you in that. God's strength is so strong that he won't let our strength compete with, with his. The ladies are doing a study in 2 Corinthians, and I think they just did uh, the section in 2 Corinthians where it talks about being, when we are weak, he is strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The reason God always shows his strength in our weakness is because he doesn't want us to be deluded to think that our flashlight is anything compared to the sunlight of his strength. You take a flashlight outside, you, t- you turn your flashlight on on your phone outside, and you shine it into the air and think, oh, look how much of a difference I'm making. It's nothing compared to the power in the sunlight that is out there already, and that's the strength of God compared to your own strength. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. How do you do that? Third thing, get dressed. Get dressed and stand up. Chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. So you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Look at verse 11. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Why do you need to get stand up and, and t- to get dressed, to put on the full armor of God? It's because we're not alone, and the forces that are there are at war with us. We need to stop being materialistic and start being realistic. You need to start be- stop believing that the most real things are the things you can see, and start believing what the Bible teaches, that the most real things are the things that God says are real and are actually there, even if you can not see them. Some of you act, some of you act like your biggest enemy is, is something political, like, like Donald Trump or Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is like the biggest problem in the world. Or maybe you like, it's global warming or it's illegal immigration. Or it's my car needs to get fixed, or my AC went out, or the kids, I need to get the kids to bed, or I have this sales presentation, or this this client meeting, or this baseball game, or this dissertation chapter, or this job interview, or my grades are due, or I have this fishing trip, or this work trip, or this TV show that I want to watch. Some of you act like these are the most real things in the world. Or whatever it is, fill in the blank with whatever your real pressing thing that presses on your mind is, and you act like that is what is real and most real, but it's not what's most real. We are in a cosmic war with real forces of darkness. And for this reason, verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. Therefore, stand. This word stand is all over. Verse 11, stand. Verse 13, resist. Literally, it means to stand against. It's the same word in the original Greek. Verse 13, take your stand. Verse 14, stand. This is what it means to be a warrior for Christ 
is to stand. There's this part in, in the Avengers where Captain America gets kind of beat down and he's all alone on the battlefield and there's this like army pressing in against him and he's all bruised and nasty and dirty and he's on the ground and, he, and it's like this like really dramatic music and he gets up and he stands up and he takes his shield and he tightens the straps of his you know, star, yeah, Captain America shield and he grits his teeth and he stands back up. He's alone but he stands back up because that's what a warrior does. How much more so for us? We are not alone. We are at war. So stand. When, when you feel like life has just gut punched you and you just want to stay in bed, or you just want to veg out and watch TV, when you feel like you're, you're so discouraged because you feel like a failure, stand back up. Take your armor and stand again. Here are the armor, the pieces of the armor that God has given us. There's five defensive pieces of armor and there's two offensive weapons that he's given us. So the next thing we see, defend yourself. Defend yourself. I said I had three points, but I actually have five, so I'm sorry, I, missed, I misspoke. Number four, defend yourself. Just want to keep you on your toes, kids. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. These are all protective pieces of armor that protect us from attack. Number one, the belt of truth. And we see, we're going to see that most of these images are actually from the book of Isaiah. So look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. And this is a prophecy of the Messiah. It says, righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. So this is a prophecy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and how he will be wrapped in righteousness. Now, the way what this means is it wasn't just like a leather belt you'd put on that kind of holds your pants up. In, in, in many ancient cultures, they would, men would wear these long sort of flowing robes. And to wrap around your waist would mean you'd pick up the, the bottom of your robe and you would wrap it around and tie it up so that it's like your legs are free to run and fight in the battle or to go to work or whatever it is you needed to do. It's to get ready for action. And here we see that the prophecy of the Messiah to be girded up with righteousness is now applied to us, that Christ's righteousness, Christ's truth, Christ's faithfulness will be wrapped around us and guard us against Satan's first and most common tactic. It's not demon possession. It's not like moving furniture creepy around the room. It's not like voices in the night or shadows. Satan's number one tactic is deception. Satan's number one tactic is to get you to believe things that aren't true. It's to lie to you. He played his hand in the first section of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? This is how Satan always works. He tries to get you to believe that good news is actually fake news. You fight spiritually by constantly saturating your mind with the truth. Read the truth. Sing the truth. Speak the truth. Podcast the truth. Watch the truth. Saturate your mind with what is true. So when then Satan's lies are brought before you, you can spot it immediately. 
Second piece of defensive armor, the chest plate of righteousness. Look at Isaiah 59, 17. Isaiah 59, 17, speaking of the Lord Yahweh, he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Righteousness is God's faithfulness to his promises and his holy character without spot or blemish, without any inconsistency. The perfect righteousness of God. And what the the Bible teaches us is that God's perfect righteousness means that we must be righteous to stand in his presence because he is like a son of righteousness and we in our sin would be incinerated if we stood in his presence in our sinfulness. And the bad news of the human story and the bad news of your story is that you have sin in your heart and sin in your life. You've done things, said things, thought things, felt things that are against what God has called you to do. You've left lots of things you should have done undone, sins of omission. And there's lots of things you shouldn't have done that you did do, sins of commission. You've sinned. And the reason you sin is because you're born spiritually dead. Spiritual death then leads to physical death, and then physical death ultimately culminates in eternal death. This is the destiny of humanity apart from the gospel, dead in sin. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. God is, is, we are here, and he is here, and sin separates us from him. But he didn't hate us, he hated our sin, and so he made a way to, to, to get our sin and to remove our sin. And so he sent his son Jesus and his son Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death and he was fully God and fully man and he offered up his life as a sacrifice for sin. He was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him will be forgiven and God will consider that person righteous in his sight. If you've never done that, you can do that today. You can make that decision and take that step to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ and to to experience forgiveness and eternal life. And if you have taken that step, the truth of the matter is God sees you, not as the failure you had, not the way you snapped at your kids this morning, not the way you spoke to your wife last night, not what you did earlier this week. He doesn't see you in that light. He sees you through the lens of the perfect righteousness of his son that guards your heart like a chest plate. Satan wants to get to your heart. He wants to get to your internal life and he wants to snatch you away. He wants to lie to you and say that you are such a sinner that God could never forgive you. And Jesus' perfect righteousness has been credited to your account and God has armed you with his righteousness like a chest plate. God doesn't look at you through your failure but through Jesus' success. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else because it is the source of life. Third piece of defensive equipment. The boots are the sandals of gospel peace. Look at Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings good news News of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The gospel of peace is peace with God, and it's also peace with one another. 
that God reconciles us to himself. He takes away our sin. He forgives us so we can have a restored relationship with him. And he also restores our relationships with other people. Ephesians 2, 14 through 17 says, He, Jesus, is our peace, who made both, that is, Jews and Gentiles, one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to you who were near. Satan's favorite tactic is deception and lying. His second favorite is division and dissension. He wants to keep you separated from God, and he also wants to keep you separated from one another. And I think Satan has delighted in the history of the church in our nation because he would much rather have two big segregated churches than one smaller integrated church. Segregated or homogenous churches say the gospel that is powerful enough to reconcile us to God is not powerful enough to bring us and reconcile us to one another. Churches where everyone has the same political opinions says, say that the gospel, though it may be powerful enough to reconcile us to God, is not powerful enough to reconcile us to someone who votes for people of a different political opinion. Churches where everyone's in the same age or lifestyle stage says the gospel may be powerful enough to reconcile us to God, but it's not enough to make us want to be with people who are 40 years different in age. Churches where everyone's basically the same socioeconomic status say that the gospel may be powerful enough to reconcile us to God, but it's not powerful enough to get rich people and poor people to hang out together. That's part of why we name this church Cross United Church, because we want to see people brought to God and brought together through the cross and the gospel of peace. Number four, the shield of faith, verse 16. Now, here's what I used to always think this was talking about, about me believing in Jesus, my faith. But I don't think that that's what this is saying. It literally is the shield of the faith, as in the content of the body of truth we believe as Christians. 1 Timothy 3.9 says, Deacons must hold to the mystery of the faith, the faith, with a clear conscience. You look, you study the Bible for the faith, and you will see all throughout the New Testament, the faith is not about our subjective personal belief in God. It is about God's action for us. It is about the gospel and Jesus's work on our behalf. And what this means is this is such good news. It means your personal sense of how much you believe in a given moment is not what protects you from the assault of Satan. It is the objective, real work of Jesus Christ for you in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, you must believe, but the faith does not depend on your faith. You can believe or waffle or doubt, and you know what? The gospel is just fine. And God's, God's truth, the faith, once for all delivered to the saints, Jude, all over the Bible, it will stand 
even if your personal faith is wavering. The faith is sure. The faith is true. You have nothing to be afraid of. Stop looking so much to your own personal subjective sense of how much you believe and start looking to the objective sense of what God has done for you. Fifth, final piece of defensive equipment, the helmet of salvation. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah 59, 17. Your mind is guarded by truth that God has saved you Past tense, he is saving you. Present tense, he will save you. Future tense. Fifth and finally, fight to win. Chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. We're not called just to be defensive or to stand against Satan's attack. We are called to move forward on offense and to fight back. We're called to put the pedal to the metal and go all in for the mission of God. Two weapons here, the sword of the Spirit and persevering prayer. The Spirit always works in and through the Word of God. Read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible, meditate on the Bible, speak the Bible, hear the Bible. It's all we have. Not our creativity, not our strategy, not our passion, not our commitment. We have the power of the Word of God, and all we have to do is unleash it in our lives and in our world, and God will do the rest. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. And the way we work through the word is by letting the word flow into prayer and letting prayer flow back into the word. That's the second thing, the prayer of perseverance. Notice in these verses he repeats, Pray with perseverance. Stay alert. All times. Prayer is slow and steady type of work. Prayer is like farming. Prayer is like a crock pot. Often we want to fight a spiritual battle like a microwave, but spiritual battle is fought on the front line of prayer on your knees with the church and individually over the course of a lifetime. God answers after years and after decades of faithful prayer. The fighter jet of Christian spiritual warfare has two wings, the Bible and prayer, and they both work together. If you're studying the Bible and it doesn't move you to pray, there's something wrong. And if you're praying and it's not getting you back into the word, you're doing something wrong. The Bible should lead into prayer. You should stop trying to pray from the heart. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Start praying the Bible. Start praying God's word back to him. Turn the hymns, turn the, the he set he into you and turn God's word back to him in prayer. Get on your face in the Bible. Get on your face and pray. There's a guy who was at a Church United meeting uh, the last few weeks. 
talking about prayer, and he talks about how often our prayer is an organ recital. Heart, lungs, kidneys, spleen, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. We're, talking, we're not just talking about praying for physical health. We are talking about praying for spiritual triumph. Start praying like you're at war, and this is your primary weapon, the word and prayer. I mentioned that we just got back last week from this cruise. Cruises are great. It's like luxury all over the place, right? You call the room service, they bring you food. You go up to the next deck, they bring you food. and all. It's just food, 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 luxury, anything you could want, everything you could want. It's interesting to contrast that experience with an experience I had when I was in high school. My uncle is, was in the Navy, and I got to be a part of what was called a Tiger Cruise, where we got to go and we flew from uh, San Diego, or maybe it was from L.A., to Hawaii, because he had been out on deployment on the USS Fitzgerald, um, this Navy destroyer, and we got to fly and then take a seven-day cruise on this Navy ship from Hawaii back to San Diego. And there, let me just tell you, there is a big difference between a cruise ship and a battleship. The bunks are smaller on a battleship. The food isn't as good on a battleship. The entertainment room and the TVs aren't as big on a battleship. There's not as much frivolity on a battleship. But do you know what? Which one do you want when it's time to go to war? And some of us are living life like it's a cruise ship when we should be living life like a battleship. We should be preparing our lives for cosmic spiritual warfare. Doesn't mean you don't have nice things. Doesn't mean that you don't have like a normal life, but what it means is your life is directed at a purpose. Everything is for a purpose, and that is the purpose of winning the war that is real against the forces we can't see but are real. So the question is, are you ready to be a spiritual warrior. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you would just use these words to shape us into the people you've called us to be, to make Cross United into the church you have called it to be. Not a cruise ship of spiritual preferences and entertaining programs, but a battleship of frontline mission for what you're doing in South Florida and beyond. May we live these lives knowing that you love us and your righteousness clothes us, that the faith doesn't depend on our faith. And may that enliven our faith to believe and trust in you. In Jesus' name.